My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Magnify the Lord with me. Don't magnify the problems. Don't magnify the bills. Don't magnify the drama. Don't magnify whatever is streaming. Magnify the Lord and let us exalt his name. Exalt means to praise. Exalt means to lift up. It means to applaud. It's okay if you applaud today. Let us exalt his name together. Yes, and the psalmist, the psalmist goes on to say, oh, taste. Has anyone tasted and anyone seen that the Lord is good? Oh, you've come to the right place this morning, for you are in the very presence of the life giver. The one who spoke and planets came into existence, whose very words restored sight to the blind and who spoke and light appeared. Come on. Oh, he is the heart's mender and he is the peace giver and the life filler. Oh, God is still in the business of creating life out of nothing, fashioning miracles out of dilemmas and speaking life into dead situations. Even if you came here shackled to generational baggage and burdens of your own making, even though they said you'd be just like your family carrying emotional scars with no hope for your family. Oh, there's a God who works well with hardly nothing. Families, we have something to celebrate. We have something to praise God for. Hallelujah, glory to the Lamb. Ipsilanti, God restores. God restores. We wanted to declare immediately that Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior. And Dana and I want to especially thank the man of God, your pastor, Dr. Liverpool, uh, the pastor of this house of prayer for his ministry in our lives. And we thank him for this opportunity to minister this morning and graciously extending his pulpit to us this Sabbath. And we wanted to add in a special way that Ipsy has always been so gracious to us. You've always extended such undeserved and lavish love to us, and we thank you. Thank you for that from the bottom of our hearts for this honor and this privilege uh, to share a little bit about what the Lord has laid on our hearts. Amen, amen. And to uh, the First Lady, Sister Natalie, I just want to let you know that she reached out to me this week, um, shared her love and her prayers over us, um, and stated that she wouldn't be able to be here today, um, but she still was thinking about us and um, would be lifting us up. But I appreciate her for how she pours into me. She exudes grace and is a walking testimony. Um, she is not ashamed to tell of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And so we bless the Lord for her as she continues to minister by healing and restoring uh, the lives of families. Amen. And to the family life ministry leader, Sister Kathy Newton, to her beloved husband, Daniel, to your entire family life ministry team, we acknowledge your service of love. And you can tell when a program, when a ministry is anointed and how well put together and organized this service is and sister newton thank you so much for this opportunity thank you so much you can put your hands together for your family life team and for pouring yourselves out like drink offerings the service that you're doing is unto christ and that he in his own way will reward you Amen. and we are and we're so blessed by uh, sister keisha and sister kwan um, and ministering in song as well as Sister Rosa Warren Jones. Please send her our love. Um, and so we thank you for ministering um, in that way. We also want to thank the media team. We appreciate it. That we have sounds, did a, a magnificent job um, with all of the slides. Um, and so we want to say thank you and we appreciate you. Lastly, we want to just say, Ipsilani, that we have been praying for you. Yes. 
praying that the very God of the universe would squeeze all of his grace and all of his mercy into this very room, that he would bring restoration, that he would show up to bless, heal, and deliver. And I wanted to add that Dana and I, as we were sitting and taking in the service, I leaned over to her and said, I feel like we just need to have benediction and go home. Like the service has already taken place. Uh, Dr. Price, where are you? For each, for each person who blessed us, we thank yes. each person. Yes. We thank each person who participated in the service, each family, how well organized that was. And we want to also acknowledge, Dr. Price, thank you for bringing that message. I turned over to Dana, I said, you know, we need to get a third chair and have her come. <laughs> We and bring her with us on the road if her, dog, we, you know, if her, if her right. husband you know, is okay with that. <laughs> Holy Spirit just spoke that's to right. you, Dr. Price. That's right, amen. There is amen. a word from the Lord today. There's a word from amen. the Lord today. Amen. Have I told you that I have a wonderful husband? He is my boo and my pastor. Yes, he is. He is the apple of my eye and the bounce in my step. And he always has an encouraging word for me. And I would marry that brother again for a, yes, I'd marry him again. I'd marry him a fourth time if I could. <laughs> so I praise the name of Jesus for this man of God that he has given me for I am bone of his bone. I am flesh of his flesh. My very name, Dana, is derived from his name, Daniel. My name is drawn out of somebody, formed from his, like the rib God took from Adam and used to create Eve. Yes, in my sanctified imagination, I believe when God began to plan my birth, he knew I would need uh, someone with broad shoulders to help hold me up when I was down, to recite and remind me of God's word in the midnight hour. God knew I would need someone who didn't mind me falling asleep on the phone when we were dating and, uh, and, and enjoy watching me sleep after long talks. God knew I would need someone who would not have an issue supporting a woman preaching in his pulpit and walking in the calling God mapped out for me. So a year and 13 days before I was born, God shaped and formed and allowed a certain baby boy to be born on October 24th. And so I praise God that Pastor Carmona loves the Lord immeasurably so that he is able to love me fully. Hallelujah, you see the benefit of marrying an evangelist. Thank you, baby, I love you. I love you, Dana. And God has been so gracious to me. Yeah, that he sent me an angel. Yeah, yeah. God sent me an angel in the person of my, my best friend, the best person that I know. Uh, Elder Dana Carmona, and this year we will be celebrating 31 years of marriage. We give the honor and the glory to Christ. Elder Dana said fourth time wedding because I married her three times. Come on, somebody. No, somebody saying, did y'all split up? I said, no. No, we got married, and then years later we had um, a renewal a number of renewals and then in fact we were ministering at a church in Queens in fact last month bringing a family life weekend to them and the pastor there at the church was having a wedding renewal for the community and so we eloped and uh, I said this is the woman I want to be with for the rest of my life and so I said would you like to uh, and so, and so she said yes, and we got ourselves married again. Come on, somebody. Three, so three times, the same woman. Amen, amen. And if she asks me, I'll marry her again. Come on, somebody. All righty. Is it okay if we go to the Word this morning? Yes. So we invite you to turn with us to John 16, 33, and I appreciate uh, the ladies who did um, and read, yes, the three versions of the Bible. 
from John 16, 33. Now this is Jesus speaking. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But, somebody say but. But, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let us pray. Dear kind, gracious, heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that strongholds would be broken and anything that has set itself up against your word this morning would be dismantled in the name of Jesus. Hide us so that you can be seen. Let our words evaporate so that the word of God can be made plain and may our presence mean absolutely nothing so that the presence of God can mean everything. Here we raise our Ebenezer. Hither by thine help we have come. And now, Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, you are still our strength and our redeemer. And we pray this in the matchless and mighty name of Jesus. Let all God's people say, Amen and Amen. Amen. Well, one of the things that amazed me and Danny as we prepared for this Sabbath was discovering the things people carry when they travel. In fact, you know, if you're flying, uh, your baggage gets inspected by the Transportation Safety Administration, TSA. And TSA um, records, sh records show that agents have discovered all kinds of things in people's bags. Uh, somebody tried to sneak their pet cat on board in their carry-on, yeah. Um, someone also tried to bring on live lobsters uh, on the plane, live seahorses um, in containers, flares, and lighters. Even unexploded World War I and World War II ordnance or bombs that had not yet detonated, they thought they should bring that on the plane with them. Sometimes people didn't even know what they were carrying in their baggage. And that was the case when somebody's dog quietly snuck into a suitcase. The suitcase got zipped up. The owner, thinking that the dog was with her husband, took off with the suitcase. The agent discovered the dog before it went in the undercarriage. Hallelujah. Another time, a snake got into somebody's baggage. And the person didn't know that there was a snake on board or about to be on board. Thank God that the TSA agent caught it. The things we carry in our baggage. So I know you can see all of this baggage around us. And so what does all of this luggage that's all around us have to do with this message? What does it mean? Hmm. Well, this baggage represents things we carry with us. Now baggage can be good, bad, or ugly, unresolved emotional issues from the past, um, something traumatic. It is our distorted thoughts. It can be hermeneutical, how we interpret scripture. Um, and we would define good baggage as having the ability to resolve um, conflict quickly, having healthy boundaries, um, being forgiving, having empathy, um, having self-control, trust, respect, and being supportive. These traits, these are traits that strengthen, uplift, and empower our families. Now, on the other hand, bad baggage, ugly baggage, and that is what we are specifically speaking about today, are things that we need to overcome by the grace of God. Coming out of the gate, we want to share with you so that there is no confusion. When we say overcome, we are leaning on the verse from John 16, 33, that we must be in Christ to overcome. Otherwise, our families will not overcome. Do you know that Satan is interested in your family? Mm -hmm. Have you seen the condition of our families? Do you know that he has a target over you and your family? 
we will not be able to overcome anything without being in Christ. Mm -hmm. So things that we need to overcome might be, this is a limited list, things like bitterness, shame, which is a favorite of Satan, mm -hmm. to blackmail families, right? To shame families into doing things. You know, people will do all kinds of horrific things if they think that they will be shamed, to not be shamed. You would not imagine the length to which a person and a family will go to hide themselves so that the rest of the community will not know what's going on. Shame is one of the favorite tools of Satan. Lack of empathy is another one. Grief is, can be baggage. Pain can be baggage. Fear, another favorite of Satan. Denial is another favorite. Control. Mm-hmm emotional or physical abuse, drug or alcohol abuse, excessive criticism. Did you know that bad baggage can stop you and your family from having the blessing that God wants to give you? Mm. Well. That you can be a blood-washed Christian, mm. you can be a tithe paying or returning, you can be a member of the household of faith and be carrying all of this. Uh -huh. And this has nothing to do with your name written on the Lamb's Book of Life. But the enemy, knowing that he wants to hurt Jesus and he can't go up there and hurt him, knows how much Jesus loves you, knows how much Jesus loves your family. And if he can hurt you, then he knows that he can get to, to Jesus. And so sometimes this baggage can get in the way of what God is trying to do, not just for us, but for the community baggage can introduce, can add, can continue issues that our families never should have had and that we didn't even know that we had. And baggage can be passed down to us from our families. And because it is the way that we were raised, the water we grew up in, um, we don't even know that it is baggage. It's just the way our family is. It's just the way us Carmona's, this is what we do, uh, the way we handle stuff. You see, this is just a visual representation hmm, of what we all have around us. It's what we take with us everywhere we go. Yes, it's what we show up with at work. It's what we bring to church, to business meeting. Uh, it's with us as we dine in the restaurant, um, on vacation. It's with us at school. It's with us in the neighborhood as we clean up the front yard. Uh, it's even with us at family reunions. What is the big problem hmm, with baggage? Why are we sharing this message on Family Life Sabbath? I need to now come a little closer. All right, for our family who's here, for our families who are online, I want to come a little closer and specifically speak with my Seventh-day Adventist family. Is that okay? Yes. May I do that in love, all right? It is because in our experience, and I'm saying this in love, can I just talk in love? Is that all right today? Yes. In our experience, it is because we believe that Adventist families have issues just like non-Seventh-day Adventist families. It's okay, you can throw a sandal at me if you want to. Speak the truth. Yeah. Seventh-day Adventist families, right, have problems just like non-Seventh-day Adventist families. An example of baggage is our denial. Mm -hmm. We deny that our families exist within the population. We think that because we are Seventh-day Adventists, the church that I love and have always belonged to, that we are not people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's okay, I'll say amen all by myself. Amen. Yeah, yeah. We, we misunderstand what Jesus is saying when he says that we are, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Not, uh, not of the world means that our identity is first in Christ and that our mission is Seventh-day Adventists. I hope you invite me back. Let me, let me say that again. Your identity is not being Seventh-day Adventist. Now, your identity is that you're a child of God. First, you are Christian. Uh -huh. You're just like Jesus. And then your mission 
right now in this time is to be a Seventh-day Adventist. This is what Jesus called you to do. Okay, don't worry about what he called someone else to do. You worry about what he called you to do. First, you're a Seventh-day Adventist. That's your identity. You're a Christian and then a Seventh-day Adventist. So that's your mission. Yes, we are blood-washed people. And we are people. We're people saved by grace. And we are people. Did you know that Seventh-day Adventist people have hormones? Or that elementary-aged kids have hormones. This was a huge one for me when I served as a principal in our K-10 academies. Some parents could not and never acknowledged that their kids were physically attracted to other kids. Never. Mr. C, that could not be my kid. He could never do something like that. Come on, preacher. Adventists are attracted to all kinds of things. Hmm. Did you know that Adventists struggle with all kinds of addiction? Yeah, one of the addictions um, that we deny um, is an addiction that's widely accepted is food addiction. Yeah, so just name any addictions that you can think of and Seventh-day Adventists have them. Did you know that we struggle with managing personal finances? Did you know that our kids consider suicide and some of us adults consider suicide? Did you know kids feel lonely and and grownups feel lonely too? Did you know that SDA's Seventh-day Adventists have been rejected by someone romantically? And it has wiped the smile off of our faces? People will come in and say happy Sabbath, but have a dagger in their heart. Yes, smarting from rejection or lost love. Did you know that Seventh-day Adventists struggle with domestic violence and intimate partner violence? On an average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by intimate partners right here in the United States. And in a year, that's 10 million women and men. One out of four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence. So if you were to go around the room and do one, two, three, four. You, yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine for men. Yes. But perhaps what is most heartbreaking is that these stats are the same both inside and outside the church. Seventh-day Adventists privately struggle with sexual preference or that there could be someone who's in the closet right now listening to this message. They are living a gay lifestyle and they feel uncomfortable saying it. Regardless of your theology or their theology, they're struggling. They're in pain because if they ever told someone, right, that they were even thinking it, not that they had a lifestyle, that they're even thinking it, that they would be shamed. They feel that they would be outcast. Where would they get that idea? Where would they get the idea that if they share their most intimate thoughts, that they would be outcast? We've got to take care of our families. They feel unloved. By all kinds of entities, could they feel unloved by their church? There may be someone who has to make a decision about pregnancy. Regardless of their theology, they're in a valley of decision. And they, and they don't know who to talk to, and they feel that they may not be able to trust anyone in their church. Oh, population issues are not comfortable to talk about, but these are the issues that our families face and have been swept under the rug. The context of what we're saying is not here at Ipsy because we are talking about real issues that we have ministered to in other churches where we have counseled, all right? That's the context. Even defining what a family is, is baggage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, husband, wife, 
2.5 kids, two-car garage, and a cute dog. This is the nuclear family that was previously defined as a family. The landscape has changed. Families exist in all kinds of combinations. Amen? Yes, so families can be nuclear, the traditional two-parent, single, step-family, covenant, and or kinship, blended, also meaning if you're an adult and you live by yourself, you are a family. If you are a grandparent raising children or a guardian raising your nieces or adopted children, you are a family. The most important feature is that you and I are all in God's family. But what hasn't changed is what families need. That hasn't changed. That has stayed the same. And what are the three things that we believe that families need? Number one, families need to be loved. Unconditional love. Someone who loves them no matter their behavior. Right? That you have all of the videos on them, but they are still loved. They're treasured. And that someone really likes them and wants to hang out with them without any strings attached. Families, number two, need to be believed and someone to believe in them. Number, number three, two was believed, three is hope. Families need hope today. Do these three things sound familiar, church? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is? So growing up Adventist, I was taught that you don't air your problems out in front of people. I know that might be the only person who has experienced that. Um, and I'm a black Latino, so if you're a Latino, uh-uh, you ain't telling nobody your business because of fear of shame. So just so that we're understanding one another, I am not advocating for people uh-huh, to come before the business meeting to spill out the beans and shame someone for their pregnancy. That horrific thing, I experienced seeing that as a child. That is not what I'm talking about today. I am talking about having a confidential discussion with a professional. I'm saying that sweeping things under the rug and keeping them in a closet is how we did it. And we had some serious mess in our closets. Is it okay for us to share our hearts and baggage with you, our family, yes. our baggage. All right, we're, we're gonna be vulnerable and transparent now. Yes, I'm not sure if you remember me ever telling you this story, but I remember when me and Pastor Carmona, um, we were newly married. So anyone back in the day knew um, that I love exciting and new hairdos. Matter of fact, when we were dating, he would come and say hello and uh, sit next to me and he would go put his arm around me but the brother wanted to put his fingers up in my hair and I would just have to kind of move <laughs> out of the way well this particular day I wanted to change up my hairstyle Dr. Price now I must tell you however that some of my hair I had not grown personally myself <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So this hair uh, that was in my head was now laying in the sink, y'all. And so I'm taking out uh, this weave, and, and I'm down to the last track, Sister Keisha. Down to the last, I don't know if anybody understands what I'm saying. Down to the last track, everything's up in the air except for this last, and in walks Pastor Carmona. <laughs> He was speechless, y'all. He stuttered. Mm. I, I, of course, I thought he always knew that some of my hair had some extensions in it. I looked a hot mess. Kathy, I looked a hot mess. Something that should be brought to God in prayer. Poor Pastor Carmona, that young man from Puerto Rico. He had no clue, but praise the Lord, he saw me. Look beyond my mess and saw my need and asked if I needed assistance. And I told him, is there anything that you need, sweetie? Mm -mm. So I put my head down and shook my head. No, just give me an hour and a half, baby. I'll come out a new woman. 
I, uh, I didn't mind her looking good, church, because God is a good God. But that day, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, mm-mm, you shouldn't speak right now. And discovering these new dimensions in my wife. Extensions. Uh, <laughs> somebody said extensions. I was trying to help her in this bathroom exercise. And so when I saw her hair in this condition, um, having never seen this from, you know, in my culture, I, I had to ask myself if I was really going to say anything that could have ramifications on me later. Oh, that's so sweet, sweetie. Well, saints, the reason why I was in the bathroom working on my hair, uh, the reason why this was my seventh hairstyle in the last five months, uh, the reason why there were 15 hairstyle magazines, anybody out there know what I'm talking about? 15 hairstyle magazines scrolled across the floor, hmm, on my bathroom floor, is because I needed to look perfect. I needed to be perfect, not just my hair. Everything had to be perfect. Makeup on points, nails 100, clothes flawless. And why? Why did I have to be perfect? Because somewhere I had learned that men leave my baggage. Remember, baggage is something that you carry with you. And sometimes baggage can be good, it can be bad, or it can be ugly. So... These issues that I had with um, being perfect, um, I grew up around a family, around family members where I was told that men leave, that men don't stick around. Uh, men will love you and leave you. Matter of fact, uh, when uh, me and my husband were, were newly married, we had a big family dinner at a restaurant. So I was so excited because I was going to just introduce everybody uh, to him. And so we came in, we sat down at this long table, we're enjoying our food, and here comes my aunties. A line of them coming, they come sit on our end. I'm smiling excited because I'm going to introduce them to my boo. And they sit down and they lean, lean over and they, uh, you know, say hello, and I'm like, hey, auntie, this is, you know, my hubby, my boo, Daniel Carmona, and they were just very sweet, and they said hello, and how are you? And now they're still, they're still sitting there next to me, and sitting next to him. They turn to face me and say, in earshot, you know that he's going to leave you, right? Men never stay. I thought to myself, wow. So I, I didn't tell Danny this, but when I heard my auntie saying this, I thought to myself, yeah, what else is new? It was no surprise to hear them saying it. It wasn't breaking news. My aunties had uh, seen and experienced some form of men acting up, being unfaithful, having side chicks, being emotionally uninvolved, and eventually leaving. Women will end up alone, they said. They were just being men. So this was a precious family heirloom baggage, family baggage that was handed down from their mother, my grandmother, to the nieces and granddaughters. So we didn't know that this was their ideology um, um, because that's what we were swimming in, like fish in water. No one had to pull us aside and, and uh, you know, give us a whole dissertation on men leaving. All that was needed was a front row seat watching it played out around me in the lives of family members. No one ever talked about conflict resolution, communicating versus holding grudges, bitterness, and mountains of hurt. And the leaving wasn't just they, the men literally packed their suitcases and went to their other booze place. It was that they were in the room with them and still were absent. That they could be eating next to them um, and be emotionally absent. Same thing, he's still gone and you're on your own. Now, you should know that I didn't know all of this when we got married. I thought that baggage was stuff that you bought at a suitcase uh, uh, store. I was shocked in the restaurant um, when the aunties came to speak with us. And I have always been taught to be respectful of my elders. But I knew there was something wrong with auntie. <laughs> so I didn't say anything. 
No sudden movements. Just finish your mac and cheese and let's go home. Uh, and we can talk more about it at home. Since this to me, to me it was coming out of left field. And of course, this was something very personal for the aunties. This was not Dana's stuff, right? So from an early age, I was prepared to be an independent woman. However, what I caught was you need to be independent because of the unavoidable, inescapable family baggage, the reality that men leave. I was taught to change the oil in my car and change the tires and to check the fluid in the car. But what I caught was learn these things because men leave. I was instructed to finish my bachelor's degree and my master's degree and doctorate. Um, but what I caught was have a plan A, not a B. Plan A, because when he leaves, not if, when he leaves and you are all alone, you must be able to survive. And I caught men can't be trusted. Men rarely know how to handle anything and men must be managed and fixed. Now, what Dana has just shared with us is her baggage, but Dana had no idea that I also had my own baggage. Baggage, if you can imagine all of this baggage that bumped into her baggage. When I saw all of this hair, I thought she had grown herself. My baggage was triggered and I didn't push the button. And as lovely as this was that she was doing this for me, there was something about this scene that seemed vaguely familiar to me. Something from my childhood. You see, I grew up in a codependent home with alcoholism and serious abuse. There were no straightforward, transparent relationships. Deception was normal. Concealment was routine so that you could live. Was the same thing happening again here in my new home with, with my bride? Carmona, of course, she's getting beautified for you. What are you thinking? But didn't I learn somewhere that women could be dishonest? And didn't she just prove it? Oh, I'm not going to make a fuss about it. I don't want her to think that I'm being petty. That's one of the things about baggage. You don't want to be exposed. It was foolish. I'm being foolish. How, how do I tell my bride that my lie, me that my lie meter that I didn't even know I had just got triggered and that she set it off. I'm a rookie husband, I don't know what I'm doing. Do I just tell her the truth and suffer the fallout of breaking her heart that at bottom, I suspect that all women lie? Baggage. And I really thought that he knew that it wasn't my hair. Bay, I had baggage. I had baggage. It's something you carry with you, and sometimes you don't want people to see you. Yes. Now, you might think that this baggage that I had stays in one area of my life, only at home. Mm, no, my baggage spilled out into other areas of my life. Yes. Why? Because your baggage goes everywhere you go. So my baggage, yes, of men not keeping their word, men are born to abandon and men can't be trusted. Those issues, those bags show up at the workplace. If men can't be trusted, what if my man, what if my boss is a man? If men abandon, isn't Jesus a man? Won't Jesus just leave when he's tired of me? Can God be trusted? Aren't there men at church? Don't men fix my car? Aren't a lot of men judges and police officers? Aren't men professors? So I begin to question everything, especially from men. Did I really get a B minus on my test or was he just being a man? I know I didn't get the position, um, but was the other guy really more qualified? Because I saw his work. Hmm. Don't men flamboozle? Isn't that ingrained in their DNA? And why would I submit to a man? who obviously can't be trusted to even read the scriptures correctly without leaving out verses and give me, come on now, give me an accurate interpretation of the word. Clearly he did not read all of Ephesians 5. What about verse 21 where it says we both submit to Christ? 
And what's running under all of that is if men are supposed to love like Christ, love the church, then I'm not sure what kind of Jesus I'm serving. His baggage, my baggage, is about men, women being dishonest. You see, what if he comes to church with this baggage that women are dishonest and the treasurer is a woman? And she stands up to give a report for the church uh, on the finances of the church. Or what if the elder preaching that Sabbath is a woman? Aren't there some disagreements in the church family that might start that way? Does it seem like there is family gridlock that can't be explained? Could our baggage be playing a role? This kind of baggage leads to mistrust, disengagement, and suspicion. And it can be nicely covered up under a need for accountability and responsibility, Pastor. Also, if you are interested, by the way, in new people coming to your church, to your organization, they notice your baggage. Yeah, the issues that you think are hidden are not hidden. And people who want to join your organization will see it and they will vote with their feet or vote with their virtual presence. People outside will notice your baggage. Baggage cannot be swept under the rug. I am so glad that the Holy Spirit showed me that that's a cognitive distortion. Those are your issues and your baggage. Her doing her hair for you has absolutely nothing to do with the issues that you had as a child. She loves you. She's looking out for you. She wants to impress you. God has been gracious to you. Be gracious to her. You are ridiculous. There's no way on earth that she's doing that to hurt you. God wants to take your baggage. God wants to take your baggage. I'm so glad that even though we might sweep stuff under the rug, I'm so glad that the Bible doesn't sweep family baggage under the rug. It opens the door and lets out the skeletons. Matthew 1, when you get a chance, go home and read the genealogy of Jesus. It gives us a synopsis of the baggage in the life of Jesus Christ and his family. The genealogy of Jesus, it starts out with Abraham. Abraham was a liar. Then he had a son, Isaac, who's also a liar. Then he had Jacob, who's also a liar 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 pants on fire then there is David a murderer and power rapist I said it and Rahab a Canaanite and prostitute Ruth from Moab sacrificer of children and on and on 40 generations of drama Jesus should have had all kinds of mess but he overcame so Jesus came from a long line of scoundrels, yes. mm, outsiders, outlaws, and, and sinners. And when he entered into the world, he entered into the messiness of the human family, even his own family. In fact, he was the only member of his family who never brought shame upon the family. Instead, he took it upon himself, the shame of every person yes. in the family tree and placed himself on a tree. Mm. Think of Abraham's shame of uh, allowing his fears to put his wife in this compromising situation. Jesus bore that shame as he hung on the cross, even though Jesus always protects his bride. Think of Jacob's shame for a lifetime of deception. Uh, Jesus bore that shame, um, though he always told the truth, and in fact, he is the truth. Think of Judah's shame over selling his brother Joseph to slave traders, lying to his grieving father Jacob for years, and his incestuous liaison with his son's wife Tamar. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, took upon himself the sin and the shame of Judah. Think of King David's shame. Mm. Overtaking another man's wife with force into his own bed and then, then organizing her husband's murder. Jesus bore that shame as he hung on the cross under a hastily made mocking sign that read, King of the Jews. Jesus came to save both victim and perpetrator. Mm. 
Hmm. Sinner and sinned against. Most people would try to cover up their family tree if they had this kind of history. Yet the Son of God chooses to become part of this specific family line. Why? Because all families are sinful and have baggage and are in need of being saved and delivered. And that was the whole point of him coming to this earth in the first place. We have to make it clear that Matthew goes all the way back to Abraham when we're talking about family baggage and the genealogy. But you should know that that is not the only genealogy in the New Testament. You should know that Dr. Luke has a genealogy for Jesus and his goes further back than Abraham. His goes all the way back to Adam. And don't you know that before Adam was God? What we're trying to say is that if you look at the genealogy of Jesus, uh he starts with Jesus and goes back to himself. Yeah. Adam was created by God. Yeah. Jesus is not only related to every person, Jesus is his own descendant and ancestor. Mm-hmm. He is at the beginning and at the end of his genealogy. Yeah. If you're going to follow somebody, follow somebody who's at the very back of their ancestry line. Come on, yeah. somebody. Yes, God. Yeah. Jesus overcame. Why? How could he do it? Where they blew it, Jesus didn't. He overcame. But how? How did he overcome? We would like to propose four ways that he overcame as we're ending. He acknowledged, the first one, number one, Jesus acknowledged truth. Mm -hmm. In this world, you will have tribulation. This is the conversation. Remember, John 16 is the precursor to Gethsemane. He's about to go into Gethsemane. What do you tell someone and you're about to go into this most intense part of your ministry? He's telling them the truth. In this world, meaning the cosmo, right, the world that Satan is overseeing, you're going to have the word anguish. You're going to have bitterness. You're going to have issues. Jesus is laying out for it for us easily with our, with our families today. You're going to have issues. You're going to have anguish. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't lie to his disciples in the upper room. Your experience will be one of issues, of baggage. It's going to be real. He did more than that, right? He didn't leave it at that, right? He said, listen. There are going to be these issues, right? But I want to let you know that there's a way to get over these things. And it's not because of something that you have to do, that you have to push through, that you have to soldier on through, that you have to really find a way to maneuver all the things with your aunties, your uncles, your dad's stuff. You just need to come to me and I will deal with whatever's going on because I have overcome the world. It's in the present tense. It's something that already happened. You need to know what Jesus is saying. I have overcome, right? He's saying, he's not saying that I will overcome. Oh, he hasn't got to Gethsemane yet. And he already is declaring, I have. It's something that happened once and for all. It's repeatedly and it has a present event. Jesus already before Gethsemane is telling his disciples, I got you. Before having a conversation with the thief on the cross, he's saying to us, I got you. I got you. I got you. He did more than acknowledge a proposition. He said about himself, not just that truth is a proposition. He said, I am truth. Right? Meaning that if you're in relationship with Christ, you're in relationship with truth. He also said, be of good cheer. Now, as a therapist, you know, if somebody's going through a horrific time in the family, it's right. a family therapist. How, how are you just going to say, cheer up? Mm-hmm. It'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that sound insensitive? You don't do that, right? You're very careful about the things you say with somebody who's going through loss and grief and devastation. Why? Because the person is going to hear you say, well, cheer up. You know, these things happen. Okay, cheer up. Well, why, why would you be upset with someone saying cheer up? We're saying upset. Well, it seems insensitive. Number one, you don't know the circumstances. You don't know condition. You're in no control. There's nothing that you can do about it, and you have no power of making any difference. But that is not the case with Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah. That is not the case with Jesus Christ because nothing is too difficult for Jesus. Yeah. Nothing is too big for Jesus. Nothing is too big for him. Nothing is too small for him. There are no frontiers of impassibility for Jesus. Jesus Jesus can't be stopped, bottlenecked, or slowed down. There are no boundaries to his awesomeness. There are no requests that are too little or too unimportant. Whether it's your car keys or cancer, seasickness or student loans, first day in school, first day on a new job, Jesus can never be deadlocked. 
with a conversation, a puzzle, a math problem, in traffic, with a medical concern, a job crisis, or with what you're going to be having for lunch on Tuesday. When it comes to Jesus, nothing is impossible. The question is, how big is your God? Number one, number one, right? He told the truth, right? He told just, he's just truth. Number two, he surrendered himself. <sighs> this is the hard one, right? He surrendered himself. Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8, Jesus can say to the Father, I have come to do your will, O God. In Hebrews 10, 9, then he said, here I am, O God, to do your will. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, he said in his hour, however, not my will, but your will must be done. This is the tough one, right? It's surrendering. It's surrendering. It's letting go of pride. There was a man in a family who, you probably have heard me tell the story before about this man who was kind of rough with his wife, you know? Um, wasn't very kind to her. Wouldn't help her with things. Very critical, very critical. And um, she went shopping by herself, brought in the groceries by herself one day as he was watching her bring in the things. Came by to inspect the things that she had brought in. And as usual, he had comment, commentary. <clears throat> he was a little hungry, so he helped himself to some of the things that she was there. He was starting to open it so that he could have a snack. And uh, his wife saw what he was doing and said to him, sweetheart, honey, don't eat that. That's, that's not food. He said, these little balls right here, these are cheese. And she said, sweetheart, that's not, that's not cheese, sweetheart. He said, what are you talking about? I know what I'm talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. He said, sweetheart, that, that, it looks like cheese, but that's soap. I got it. I got it on sale. I went down the soap aisle because it was on sale. I picked it up, and that's why I got it, sweetheart. So don't, so don't eat it. And he said, "You know what? I'm have, I'm I'm done talking to you. I'm gonna eat your. You lost your mind. This is cheese." So he opens, and she, you know, he spoke with her so strongly that she just didn't talk. So he opened it up. Mm-hmm. Opened up the raptor, opened his mouth, and took the little ball, popped it right in his mouth immediately. When his body came in contact with the soap, it was soap. It started the process of digestion immediately. And the saliva mixed with the soap and foam started coming, foam started coming out of his mouth as he's chewing it. And she, the wife sat there, didn't want to, she didn't want to laugh. She sat there, kind of looked at him to see what was going to happen next as he's. And he said, what he said to her. True story. It's kind of fuzzy. Tastes a little bit like soap, but it's still cheese. Yeah. To the very end. Fantastic rebellion. How our families are struggling with fantastic rebellion. And how Jesus is saying... Let me carry your baggage for you. I've already done it. I've already carried it for you. Why are you carrying that? Point number three is he didn't go it alone. He relied on his father, the Holy Spirit, and holy angels. And I believe that Dr. Price painted an excellent picture for this point, and I can just go on to point number four if we need to. She talked about how the church prayed for her. Even when I'm not even sure she knew that they continued to pray. They continued to surround her and pray for her. And you don't have to go through it alone. Mm. You don't have to go through it alone. You know, God can heal you however he wants to. Bio, psycho, social, spiritual, person, meaning that each area needs attention. And, and God can do it by himself with a word. He can just say it and it's done. But he also can use a group of people in church, somebody. And he also can use professionals trained in that area to help you. 
correct? So if you are having uh, an issue with your molar, we're going to pray over you, but we're going to send you to the dentist, right? We're going to send you to the dentist to get that fixed. So don't go it alone, whether it's dental, counseling, or something spiritual. God has what you need. So make yourself available and don't do it by yourself. Point number four, thank you, Dana. Uh, we're ending, we're ending, we're ending. Uh, point number four, we must overcome in the way that he overcame. Yeah, Jesus. Sometimes we think that we have to come up with something clever, something quick, right? We have to outthink the problem. If you're like me, I want a five-year plan. I want a 10-year plan. I want this thing. I want to know what's going to happen. Um, God has reminded me that all he's given me is today. <laughs> over and over again with my family, with the places where we've ministered to, he said, Dan, he doesn't call me pastor, he just call me Dan. I've, I've, I've got this for you. You don't have to try to outplan me. In the way that he won, we must overcome, Revelation saying, in the way that he overcome, we should not go by that too quickly in Revelation. As I also overcame to the, to, the, to the church at Laodicea, that we will overcome in the way that he overcame, not by force, not by criticism, not by wit. And how did Jesus overcome? Jesus had to suffer. Yeah. And the thing that the world threw at him, it was because his father was with him. He had surrendered to his father and he was doing the will of his father. So we want to just, there's an appeal coming. And in a little bit, I'm going to ask Dr. Liverpool to pray for us that surrendering yields rich rewards. Someone in the sound of my voice is suffering. Yeah, somebody's wondering about their child that they raised in the church and they, someone is suffering. I want to share with you, Jesus is not being insensitive when he said, be of good cheer. He's saying, be of good cheer, because if you are in me, you will overcome. If you, if you let me have that challenge, whatever it is, you will, you will overcome. Your family will win. Your triumph over will conquer. Conquer what? The baggage, the bad baggage. The things that are getting in the way. The things that you say, well, how will I figure out if I don't know? There are ways that we can explore that with you. But even if we haven't explored that with you, or if you don't know how to, say, Jesus, there's stuff I'm carrying. I don't know that I'm carrying it. And it's hurting my family. And I'm wondering if maybe I had something to do with that. And so, Jesus, if I had something to do with that, please come. Come and bless my family. How many of you want to win? Don't you want to overcome? The promise is that he made, I have overcome. And he's so nice, he's so kind, he's so gracious, he's so lavish, that because he won, he won the race. He gladly gives us the benefit of his victory. In fact, he's not interested in a future without you and wants to make sure that you're with him, with those benefits, with him for eternity, you and your family. Your family, this family, the community, not just this family, but the Ipsy family. The Ypsilanti, the city of Ypsilanti family. Right. God wants to do something for you. Would you be open to accepting what he did for you? For your family? For how he overcame for you? He's saying, I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. Come on, preacher. Can somebody say amen? amen? Let us stand for a talk with God. Father in heaven, you brought us to this place of worship today because of our need. We've been walking around with baggage 
some of it generational baggage some of it we've been carrying it for so long we've grown accustomed to the weight today you want to relieve us of bad baggage there's no need for us to pull and to carry something that you've already declared victorious in our lives what we need is to experience you today we ask that you be our friend and we know that you're the kind of friend who comes in when the whole world has gone out and you're the kind of friend who knows everything about us but loves us anyway and so today father as part of the family of God we surrender ourselves to you and whatever ails us individually remove it so that we can be of a blessing to our immediate families and the family of God thank you today father for the present tense I have overcome the world there is not something that you will do you've already done give us the grace to accept and thank you that you are in the restoration business of your children may our families be reunited today last but not least help us to remember that we belong to the family of God and thus our behavior one to the other must be she's my brother she's my sister he's my brother he's my father she's my mother may we cherish your children because we're your family in Jesus name we pray amen